They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart, available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. another episode of the Juan on Juan podcast. I'm your host Juan. On this episode we talk to Luke Warm. Well that's his alias. His real name is Luke Williamson and he goes around ancient sites and tries to decipher who, what, why they made them and he's gone around the, the, the entire world and to one of my favorite places ever, Egypt. We discuss some Egyptology and different sites around the area and we also break down the effects of psychedelic and this episode I really enjoyed it a lot because it went from talking about ancient civilizations to psychedelics two of my favorite things and we incorporated both of them into the conversation about Egypt but very very cool episode I really did enjoy it because again I feel people don't ask enough questions when it comes to these ancient civilizations and just the sheer size of these operations and not only that but the precision that these people uh exhibit with these uh pieces of <laughs> pieces of art and again there's the debate whether the the dynastic egyptians really did construct these structures or if it was somebody before them or you know uh, pre-dynastic that built these and they just inherited them and there's a lot of friction when it comes to that realm of Egyptology because you have the mainstream academia that talks about it's a certain way that's the way it's going to be and no ifs ands or buts about it and they're always hiding things again like the media and just like George Orwell said those who control the uh, the future control the past and those who control the past control the future and this is a perfect example. They, there's so many things that they've hidden and 
only 15% of Egypt has been excavated. There's a, there's another world underneath the, the sand, even on the Giza Plateau, and I find that so, so fascinating. I hope to one day visit, hopefully soon, and just go inside these places and just really see what it's all about and the energy they say that you feel when you go into these different uh, pyramids and structures because I believe they were used as some sort of power source, this ancient technology that we don't know anything about and we can't even begin to comprehend. So we talk about that and again we talk about psychedelics and, and their influences as well on uh, these civilizations. But without further ado, this is Enigmas of the Ancient World with Luke Williamson. And we are live. Uh, thank you for being on, Luke. Um, welcome to the show, man. Oh, no, thank you, Juan. It's a it's a real treat. Usually, I'm doing this from, from your side of things. So <laughs> it's, it's a new yeah, experience. You know how that can be, reaching out to people and how challenging it can be. And then when you get <laughs> when you get a guest who was gonna be a certain way that you thought, and he's completely the opposite. <laughs> it's uh, you never you never know. Uh, quite how it's quite how it's going to go down but uh, the worst thing i think honestly in my experience is the guys who are like yeah 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 i'd love to do your show yeah here's my stuff yeah get in touch with me and then they never return oh yeah <laughs> like, you have you, those, you have those too yeah i'd much uh, rather they're just like no no i don't want anything to do with that and I'd be like, oh, okay exactly so before we get into it luke uh let people know where they can find your material it's uh regarding one of my favorite topics and it's uh, ancient civilization. So go ahead and give your information out, Luke, so people can look you up. Sure. Um, I, I'm sort of spread across uh, the internet and social media, as you do. Uh, my website is enigmasoftheancient.world. And uh, I'm on YouTube, Enigmas of the Ancient World. Uh, there is actually somebody actually, after I, I took that name, somebody made a documentary called Enigmas of the Ancient World. <laughs> and I'm just like, hell with it. I'm not changing the name. So that's actually not mine. But if you look for my channel uh, on YouTube, you'll find it. I'm on Instagram, Enigmas underscore of underscore the underscore ancient world. And uh, uh, there's a Facebook page, Enigmas of the Ancient World. That's that's me. You'll find me eventually if you, uh, if you really want to. Cool, cool. And... Luke, this is a question I ask everybody who comes on the show. Sure. And we get a little bit I, on my show. I talk about everything, you know, life, esoteric, uh, uh, self-awareness, consciousness, all, all this, you know, all the good stuff. Mm. Just really look into yourself. So this is the first question we're going to start off with. Who is lukewarm? <laughs> well, that's it's not even really my last name. My last name's Williamson. <laughs> Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah. I just, that just, you know, it was like my junk uh, email account that just became uh, my social media account for a while, whatever. I just never changed it. Oh, well. It's funny. I've actually <laughs> arrived at airports and there have been guys with signs that were to meet me, say lukewarm. But uh, really, to answer your question, I, I've been trying to figure that out myself. You know, uh, the Luke that uh, everybody knows is just uh, an ego construct. That's that's really all I am. It's the stuff that's kind of stuck to the frame and and reflects what other people shine on me. I think that's that's pretty much what what this is. Um, and uh, underneath it all, at the bottom of everything, uh, what I am and what everybody is, and this is the kind of thing you you find out in those. Uh, 
visionary plant circles is that underneath everything uh, we're love. So, you know, and then there's just the reality of the everyday world that you have yeah. to have to cope with once you've discovered that the return to the mundane. So it's uh, yeah, we're gonna today we're gonna talk about psychedelics as well, right, Luke? Uh, oh, absolutely. With if you ancient want. civilizations. Whatever you like. Yeah. I'm open. Yeah. <laughs> we're kind of freestyling here and. <clears throat> Again, I, I want to thank you for taking the time to be on. A lot of people, like we were, we were chatting before the show, some people, uh, I've had people who, who can't find enough information of me, um, you know, because again, this is a new podcast and I've changed it up. Uh, so I've had people like, oh, who are you? You know, can I listen to your stuff? I can't find information on you. I've had people say no because of that. So, yeah. well, you know, <laughs> you know, I actually thought about it. It's funny you mentioned that because I, I thought about it and then I was like, oh, I better look him up, make sure it's not like a, a hatchet <laughs> job or a hitman and job. Alex and Alex Jones. <laughs> and then I thought about it and I just thought, you know what? This is what I do. Uh, it's what I am doing at the moment. It's what I love. Uh, you know, bring it. If it's, if it's, uh, you know, come and, and criticize me and, 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 and that's cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to interact. Hopefully not, though. I mean, hopefully it's going to be good criticism. And again, I don't force anybody to talk about anything, but the people are probably wondering what we're talking about. Uh, can you tell us a little bit of what you do, Luke, and what got you and sparked your interest in that realm of things? Uh, well, I've always been interested in in ancient cultures. Uh, I grew up in the UK, actually, and uh, it really kind of kicked off for me when I was six. My mom uh, had a uh, a job working in Egypt for six months, uh, uh, making a movie. And, um, so I got to go, I was six at the time I got to go along and, you know, it's the world was a slightly different place then. And my mom was a pretty, uh, she didn't run a particularly tight ship. I didn't know that, you know, there was just a ship. I didn't know it wasn't particularly tight, but she was a pretty, uh, you know, free mom in that way. And I, I just sort of got there and within an hour I disappeared and they found me later, uh, begging for bakshish with the local kids in the street. <laughs> and I had sort of disappeared to go try to start a soccer game with the local kids. And they're like, no, no, we play this game. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, it just all kind of started from there. Like, it's just, you know, coming from, from the UK and then arriving in Egypt and the smell and the sounds and, you know, the call to prayer and all of this stuff was just so completely alien. I think it had a really, really strong effect on me from from a young age. And, um, you know, we got to do some really cool stuff back then that was illegal. Um, I mean, you, you can still kind of do this stuff. I sort of try to avoid doing anything nowadays like that. But uh, we were taken by tomb raiders, uh, tomb robbers uh, into tombs that they were robbing and there were mummies in there. And I mean, it was a really as a six year old. It was just absolutely That's crazy. It probably really affect me strongly today if it was, you know, my first time doing that. But as a six-year-old, like, I, you know, so I just knew I was going to go back uh, to Egypt and, um, and it, you know, to get into sort of the, you know, the existential thing and the esoteric thing as, as well, uh, you know, my, my father passed in 2011 and I looked after him for the last couple of years of his life and, uh, you Sorry know, to hear I, that, man. Oh, it's, you know, it happens to all of us, uh, really. And, and you know, it, it fell to me to try to ease him, you know, through that, that transition. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I found myself lying to him or what I consider lying to him. And, you know, like, it's okay to let go. Uh, you know, your, your parents are waiting for you. 
you know, like all this kind of stuff that you try to tell the person so that they, you know, it's okay for them uh, to, to let go of the vehicle. And, uh, and I realized after that, while I was doing the best I could, I realized after that, that I didn't, I didn't know enough. I hadn't spent any time on what this is and, you know, what we're doing there and, you know, who we are. And, and that really just kind of started from a dark place and uh, I've just sort of been pushing out with it uh, since then. I've, um, I just totally changed my life. I took uh, a different path. I decided to try to do things that interested me and I felt strongly about. And uh, I just haven't really looked back, honestly, since since then. And, and so going back to Egypt was one of those things. And it ended up uh, – I ended up seeing you know tickets for that Graham Hancock-Zahi Hawass <laughs> debate tour uh, of 2015. And I thought, well, you know, why not? And I have history uh, with Zahi uh, from – and actually from – with Graham from a long time ago um, in the in the mid 90s when Graham's book had come out, I had happened to stop at a bookstore and pick up saw Graham's book, hadn't heard anything about it, and went, "Oh, that looks interesting," and picked it. I just couldn't put it down; just couldn't stop reading it. And um, is that fingerprints of the gods? Fingerprints of the gods. And yeah, about, really uh, interesting. It's a great book, and about so much, you know, really a lot of dense research, uh, very factual. Uh, you know, really easy to get stuck into. And uh, about two months after I read that book, uh, I was going to UCLA for uh, recording engineering. And uh, there was a, a lecture at UCLA on Egypt, like a three-day lecture uh, given by the director of antiquities, Dr. Zahi Hawass. And I thought, and it was quite pricey, especially for me at the time, but I thought, wow, I was so fired up about this book. And I thought, very naively, I thought, how exciting, you know, all this, this new work and these new theories and, you know, this is, they've got to be really excited about this. You know, it's got to really <laughs> bring some life back into Egyptology. And, uh, and so that was my, my introduction to how uh, academia works and the resistance there. And uh, I asked three questions in those lectures of Zahi. <laughs> and he just screamed at me the whole time. I mean, I, I, I'm glad I was sitting in like the 15th row because the guys in the first three rows were getting spit on. And he was so angry. Uh, and the first question I asked him was very basic. It was just like, look, all of these pyramids that we found, even the ones that you know haven't been broken into in the past, there haven't been any bodies in them. Like, how is it? How is it that we're so sure? that they're tombs. I'm not even saying to him, they're not tombs, dude. I'm not, not even going. I'm just saying, how is it that you've reached this conclusion when, you know, and he took that and twisted it into that. I was accusing him of stealing all these things from the pyramid. <laughs> and it really? just, it, yeah, it just went and it went South from there. And it actually wasn't until the, the Hawass tour when another Egyptologist told me that he had actually been busted for oh. um, laundering money through the Cairo Museum gift shop. And I can say this like over the air because it was actually reported in Smithsonian Magazine before the revolution. He was accused, indicted, tried, convicted, and sentenced to prison for wow. that. And then the revolution happened and whew, it all just went away. There was also the money he was taking from that geo and the thing. And that's why he's no longer – 
in his position out in the limelight, but he's he's still around. So I kind of I had an idea of of what that tour, what that tour was kind of going to be like, but I was really interested to uh, you know to go and see and experience it. And um, you know Graham's a lovely guy and uh, he was very personable. But we got there and saw he the first day he he only was with the group for two days, the day of the lecture and then and the first day. Um, but he came out under the Sphinx and immediately started shouting about how we we were all idiots. Now, this is 70 people who paid over $5,000 to be on this tour, but we were all idiots because we believed in aliens um, and Atlantis. And uh, he hadn't read any of these books because he already knew everything and he didn't need to read any of these books. And uh, And then he passed out this thing. Uh, this five-page printed booklet, just absolutely savaging uh, Dr. Robert Schock for his geological mm-hmm. uh, assertions. Not even calling him Dr. Schock, just referring to him as Schock, like through the whole <laughs> thing. And then we were told like we couldn't show that to anybody. The whole thing was just weird from uh, from day one. And then we we had the trip, and then the debate at the end, where before the debate he just refused to do the debate and walked out, said he wasn't going to do it. And uh, threw his toys, you know, out of the pram and was shouting. And I, I think the tour company had to say, "Look, we've paid you. You're gonna have to like give us the money back or something." Because he finally said, "Okay, I won't debate him. I won't listen to him, but I will. I will come in after and I will give my presentation." And so Graham gave his, which was very articulate and you know well thought out. And uh, and then Zahi came in and gave his presentation, and I was stunned. Uh, I should I should have known better, but uh, you know it was very clear that he had no uh, intention of debating Graham Hancock uh, from the very beginning because his presentation was the same presentation that I saw in Los Angeles in 1996 or seven, um, which was essentially uh, an updated version, which is essentially here's me with Princess Diana standing in front of the pyramid. Here's me uh, with Obama in front of the pyramid. Uh, here's me kicking Beyonce <laughs> off of the site because I didn't like her. Uh, I mean, really, and literally, that's what all. Here's me crawling out of this hole. Here's me. I, you know, I discovered this, and that's all it was. There was no other. There was no real information. There was no um, no reference to any of the geology or or any of the science. Yeah. And, uh, so that's just kind of how it went. And when we were allowed to ask him questions, we'd say, well, you know, so how did they align, you know, the, the pyramids to within like one sixtieth of a degree of true north? And his answer would be stuff like, oh, it's a national project. Uh, everybody comes together for a national project and <laughs> anything is anything is possible. That was literally the answer that yeah. he gave us. And, you know, he he was kept saying, you know, if Egypt is so much older than 5000 years, show me these other civilizations that are older and we said well what about gebekli tepe and his his response was what is this gebekli tepe you speak of he had no knowledge or awareness of gebekli tepe and when we said well it's, it was buried 12,000 years ago so it's at least that oh no you must be wrong your dates are all wrong and another egyptologist on the stage had to tell him actually that was that was correct <laughs> and you know so it was just that kind of uh, and i thought you know there's just room for more people to come in here and just open people's minds up. And I'm not trying to, I have no interest in taking anything away from Egypt or from any ancient culture uh, in any way. 
if if it turns out that the Egyptian civilization as we know it didn't build the Sphinx, didn't build the Great Pyramids, it doesn't really take much away from that civilization. It's still an absolutely incredible culture and an incredible civilization. There's you know, there's nothing really to be lost there. But there's there's definitely an academic uh, thing that's going on. You know, what, what do the locals say about you know? Because Brian says that a lot. Instead of telling the story for the people, just ask the you know the natives. What, what do the natives say about who, who built the pyramids? Because it's obviously that that debate if it's dynastic or pre-dynastic. And obviously, I mean, you know all the theories. But what do the people say? You know, it depends who it depends who you you talk to. I mean, you have you know the Egyptologists who will argue you know day and night that you know the step pyramid is a symbolic stairway to heaven and all this stuff which is just nonsense um and you can explain to them they don't understand um and then a lot of the local people just you know they know what they know what they've learned in school and so you know khufu built this pyramid and Khafre built that one and uh and then some of them uh are sort of uh, you know, brought up in that sort of uh, Sufi heritage where they're they're taught some of these other things. And, you know, Yusuf is one of those guys. His father was a Sufi indigenous uh, wisdom keeper, uh, Hakim Abdel Oyen. And this, these were the things that were passed down. And, and I think, you know, they, they pick a son and they pass it on. And uh, and that's just sort of how it works. And, and his timeline and his stories and ideas are very different from, you know, the academic uh, storyline. And Egypt goes back uh, much further. Um, but, you know, that's not really shocking. I mean, if we look at uh, Manetho and uh, and some of the other histories that we ignore in favor of Herodotus, etc., uh, you know, the timeline does go back much further. And I think really for me, you know, these are the options that we have to, to look at. Um, because there, I went back in 2015. I thought, look, this is going to be fun, but I went with the the mindset of I was prepared to go there and find that actually, you know, the dynastic Egyptians really did all do do all this stuff the way the Egyptologists said at the time, you know, that they said it. I was prepared for that, and when I got there, I was just constantly, constantly surprised by the amount of evidence to the contrary that's just you know laying around yeah i and, agree and when you you find the people who are you know walking around looking at that stuff and who don't just default to whatever answer was in their textbook um you know you start to get some really interesting uh, you know questions about about who was really doing that uh and what was going on and the the tentative theory that or conclusion that I've reached at this point is that we've misidentified the fourth dynasty. That fourth dynasty that mm. did all this really superb monolithic, megalithic stuff, the stuff where all the columns are one piece, even though they're 150 feet high and you know weigh a thousand tons. You know, the uh, this dynasty, this fourth dynasty that didn't have the tools to quarry granite and yet was pulling giant blocks out from 11 to 15 meters deep inside the granite quarries that's so crazy i mean it really is um what they were able to achieve uh doesn't make sense and i think hancock put it very well uh when he talks about how 
the Egyptian civilization as it's presented by historians today starts like 15 minutes before its peak. And then it peaks and then it's got like 4,000 years of decline. And that's just that's just not how things work. And when we start to look at the Younger Dryas event and sites like Gunung Padang, which may be incredibly old, uh, and Gebekli Tepe, which we know is incredibly old, I think it just opens uh, the door to understanding that um, you know we've we've been rebooted a couple times here in the past. Probably within the last 150,000 years, we've been rebooted a couple of times. And it may well be that we spent a few thousand years becoming extremely good at stonework and other things, and then we're wiped out again and started again. And I think there's. So you there's, believe in the in the cataclysm, uh, you know, every so makes, thousand years. It makes the most sense to me. I mean, I don't think it's even. I don't think it's like you know every twelve thousand years it happens mm-hmm. or something. But mm-hmm. you know, it's it's more random than that. But yeah, I think it happens all the time. And, you know, we know things get wiped out, but it's not just like once 65 million years ago. This is like all the time. And, yeah. uh, you know, we've had a pretty good run of it for the last, you know, 12,000 <laughs> years, but it could happen again tomorrow. Yeah. And if it, if it did happen again and, you know, 0.1 of a percent of, you know, the, the human race survived after a couple of years, um, imagine – trying to tell your grandkids about jet airplanes and Skype and all these things that, that no longer exist. You know, by the time your grandkids are the elders, it's all going to be fantasy. Mm-hmm. And everything that we build nowadays, you know, cement and steel, um, within a few thousand years, that is, you're, you're not even going to find a trace of it. And uh, I think you know, when you look at the stuff that's been found off the coast of India, there's stuff that's uh, been underwater for at least 9,000 years. These are megalithic blocks that form a city that's like five miles long. So there's nobody, that nobody of... talks about that either. Not, I mean, no, nobody and, really and, talks. And nobody, <laughs> nobody asks these questions because you know what it is. And I've never been to the pyramids, and I'm hoping to go very soon uh, because. This amazes me, you know, the the stones at Baalbek, for example, that the, that's another place that's like, how? Uh, the That quarry in China. Uh, yes, the Yangshan quarry. Yeah. The, yes, that's, you know. And, Do you know what their story is for that? No, what is it? It's it's hysterical. The story is that, that about 600 <laughs> years ago. There's more people? <laughs> yeah, they, they decided 600 years ago that they wanted to, to build a giant dragon for their emperor. So they were going to make this dragon out of three pieces. So they carved it in three pieces and then realized they couldn't move it. So they abandoned it. Wow. That's the official story. That's crazy. There's no way any stonemason with any kind of credibility is going to do that much work and then go, wait a second. How are we going to lift this? Yeah, unless they were wiped out while doing it. You know, it's like I talk to my fiance about this kind of stuff and I'm like, you know, this is – this is crazy. You know, every time I learn something new, either watching, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I'll, you know, I'll read books about different things. And, um, you know, it's one of the things on this podcast. I talk about pretty much everything and I've, you know, I break down religion, this t- sort of stuff, life, all, all kinds of things. And, you know, I, I will share with this knowledge with her and, and 
She'll be like, yeah, that's that's cool. I'm like, cool. You, don't you people, don't people know how ginormous? You know what? Thir- the the Great Pyramid of Giza, 13 acre footprint, more than 2.3 to 2.5 million stones, and yeah. some of them weighing up to 80 tons. You know what that is? You know what I mean? Like, how did these people? Uh, yeah, but that's the thing. People don't understand how big it is because, you know, you see these photo you know these videos up close video is one thing and then you see these pictures of the person that's tiny mm-hmm. you know a zoomed out picture of the person's tiny next to this and it really makes you see the scale of how big and how vast and again not only that what amazes me is the precision that these people were able to accomplish that and i do yeah i do cnc work you know i i know a lot about metal, uh, metallurgy I know about different hardnesses. I know about different cutters, you know, using carbide, using high-speed steel, all these different mm. uh, cutting techniques. And when you look at some of these uh, these statues, you know, in the Ramesseum, <laughs> I think it is, that where you see almost like milling marks. It's crazy. Uh, it's amazing. You, you should you should come with Yusuf and I one time because we'll, we'll take you through, uh, you know, the museum and show you all of the the really old statues that have power tool marks on them and it's it's unreal because wow. like this is not this is not a chisel it's a continuous line mm-hmm. they've gone too far with it and it's evenly usually, spaced evenly spaced and, and it's, it's usually <sighs> yeah like the sitting ones it's like usually like under the thigh or the butt like they've come down and they've just taken whatever this like rotating saw is and it's just gone just a little too far and you, you see this like, oh, these marks you. on these statues, like and quite a few of them, and it's it's absolutely crazy. And well, where are their tools, Luke? That's what I've always wondered. We have all these places, and then mm-hmm. where are the tools? You know, they obviously they found different uh, things. But another thing that that blows my mind is that you know we're looking for all these answers. We're looking for for all you know. We're asking all these questions, and 85% of Egypt is still. Under the sand, Under the in the bedrock, you know. Yeah. So it's like maybe you're looking for this missing piece of the puzzle, and it's right there. But yeah. again, you have that conflict from the government, conflict from academia, because they don't want to have to go back and rewrite. You know, uh, George Orwell, 1984, they love doing that. They went keep, back uh, and they would change it and be like, no, 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 we were right. You can go ahead and check back. <laughs> I keep, I keep asking because I. You know, I'm I'm always curious what what is the reason for that? Because I mean, you're 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 quite right. Only 15% of Egypt has been excavated. That's you know, the, amazing. The sites, and include, the including the Giza Plateau. Wow. And it's really frustrating sometimes actually to walk over that stuff and know that you could be standing like 15 feet over oh. the most incredible thing that you know has never been seen in thousands of years. Yeah. And like you just you don't have any idea or you don't have access to it. Do you think they're you hiding don't have things, Luke? Do you, you know, all these places and then you have you have people. Obviously, we're, we're going to talk about the kooks. You know, you have people like uh, Eric Vaughn, uh, uh, Danny Kin and stuff that talk about all these crazy, <laughs> these crazy theories. You know, I, I like I liked Von Danikin simply for what he did with Chariots of the Gods. He was willing mm-hmm. to ask the questions. Wait a second. You know, what, let's just take a look at this. I know what you say, but this looks like this. And I think I think they're questions that are that are worth worth asking. And like for me, I don't think the aliens built any of this stuff. I believe aliens exist. I think it's a mathematical certainty 
you look at the the amount of stars just in our galaxy it's an absolute certainty you know they're they're out there and i don't believe that uh travel is is actually restricted to like um uh you know like like a physical getting in a vehicle and going somewhere i i mm-hmm. think you know once once we understand how the universe works that none of that stuff is going to be necessary so could they come here if they knew we were here and blah 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 and 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 yeah i'm sure sure they could uh and have they been here probably and they're probably still here this is probably vacation <laughs> like they probably put on human suits and just check shit out they're, I mean, re- they're reptilians they morph <laughs> right the you know why not i i don't but as far as you know the pyramids uh Puma Punku, you know, all this, all these various, various places. I don't see, I see mistakes is what I see. And, and a lot of stuff I see, I see error and I see, I see physical tools that leave marks. Mm-hmm. And I think if these guys are like opening portals or rematerializing or, you know, doing whatever it is that they can, you know, they would have this stuff. There wouldn't be any mistakes. There wouldn't be any of these kind of, you know, weird tool marks. It would just be done. Yeah. Yeah, and, I got you. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. Again, and this is the thing. Like, I, I should have said this at the beginning because uh, anything I say, I don't I don't try to tell people I'm right. I don't believe that I know more necessarily than anybody else. You should treat everything I say as a, as a well-meaning lie, and, and you should go out and – you know, look into yourself and come to your, your own conclusions. But um, that's what I always tell people, you know, even yeah. when it comes, I talk, I talk about conspiracy theories, uh, but I forgot what uh, quote it is. I have it somewhere. It's like, uh, you know, a wise man can accept ideas without actually believing them. Yeah. You Something can like hold that. an idea <clears throat> in your head and consider it without mm-hmm necessarily having to believe it's true but people have a problem with that so i i tell them the same exact thing that you said you know uh find find out for yourself i'm only a messenger you know i uh theology fascinates me and i'll have conversations with people and and break down you know a certain religion if it doesn't fit the views of theirs you know they get offended at me no no that's not how it is like "Whoa, whoa dude i'm just uh, telling, I mean, we're having a conversation. I'm telling you, you know, from my experience, what I know about this, you know, if that's their belief, doesn't doesn't mean I believe it. And there's just a lot of, uh, you know, uh, conflict. And I've always wondered why, you know, why is this such a big thing? It may, and, it, and it puts it out there like maybe they are hiding something or they don't want to admit that they're wrong or whatever it is, but. You know, it just leads me to believe that they are hiding something. You know, like you can't go to certain places. And then they're making – do you know – how much do you know about the new pyramid that they just opened up? Have you uh, seen the news on that? Um, the Lahoon pyramid that they opened? The that, what, what or the Bent that? pyramid? I don't or even know. are we talking know. about a new pyramid that they found? They opened it up uh, recently. Oh, no. Yeah, okay. So they – recently they opened uh, down in, in – Hawara, the they found pyramid a, a prince of, La, of Lahun. That I'm not, I'm not, you know, a lot of the Middle and Older Kingdom stuff, and it's terrible. Uh, and I give myself a hard time about this all the time. I'm really interested in the Fourth Dynasty and, and the super early stuff and the really, the stuff that we're struggling to explain. Yeah. 
And so when, you know, when they find beautiful mummified boxes from the 23rd dynasty, I'm like, that's cool, but I really don't care. <laughs> and it's like, it's terrible. I Because <laughs> I find myself in Egypt a lot of times and I'm in an incredible place like Karnak or Luxor. And there's, there is, I'm actually doing a video on Karnak right now. And there's, there are interesting, uh, uh, in a, sort of inexplicable things at Karnak or things that need explaining. But like, I look at all the sectioned columns where they've built all the columns and sections and i know how they built the pylons and all that stuff and it's all like there's no mystery to it it's not the stuff i'm really interested in and i have to actually make myself stop and uh, and appreciate it uh, a little more yeah uh, just just because of that but, it's, inc uh, it's so incredible like, i mean no matter how you put it and even not just the egyptians you know the romans as well too they were mm -hmm. they, they made beautiful oh absolutely beautiful architecture and and what you were saying before about if there is a cataclysm and something comes through nothing not even you know concrete or all this stuff is going to be standing but imagine these things have stood yeah. for thousands and thousands of years and even yeah you know it's academia when i went when i was in school i remember they would be like you know and the, and the shaft is for the for the pharaoh to be able to descend with the spirit up to the gods <laughs> and now i look back on it i'm like i really believe that you know <laughs> well you know it's the funny thing is you, you rarely find anybody in academic circles who's willing to say they don't know and one of the reasons for that is is what I've run into because I say I don't know a lot and I try to keep things open on my tours and on my uh, you know in my videos and stuff and only, and what that actually does is it summons uh, these people who know everything to come and tell you <laughs> like whatever the yeah. end you're like okay no this is crazy so there's uh, there's definitely that aspect of things which is is really can be really frustrating when people know stuff and they're not willing to be to be open about it but so, so um what out of all your out of all to the go places... back i want to answer your question really really quickly if i can about the pyramids that just opened because yeah. they just opened the bent pyramid for the first time in i don't know 40 40 or more years was it open and already though before? no no it it was they were doing repairs in there it wasn't really in very good it wasn't safe internally for, mm. for people to be to be coming in and uh, they needed to put lights and other other stuff in there and i had the opportunity to go in there a couple couple years ago and um and ended up not being able to because the minister showed up at the site right before we were about to go in but i went in this year um and it's it's incredible it's incredible pyramids very very cool pyramid inside yeah. but very interesting too because um and even Ahmed Fakhri, the um, the Egyptologist back in the 30s, 40s, when they were working inside that pyramid, excuse me, he was blown away because when they started to open it up, uh, before they had even discovered like the west shaft, uh, somehow the wind used to come into that pyramid and it used to uh, – there's a really weird passage up at the top that's like a, almost like an elephant's trunk or a snake. Um, and the wind comes in through these passages and it comes in through that passage and it makes these really weird sounds <laughs> and, uh, it doesn't do it anymore because they filled in a lot of the stuff with, with rubble, you know? Um, and this is one of the things they do. They're like, oh, that must be a shaft for when they just 
throw all the detritus and stuff, and it just drives me crazy. Yeah, they're destroying, you know, history pretty much, or like, even when they rebuild it and stuff like that, you know. They... One of the things that really upset me actually recently, I was under the Step Pyramid uh, last year with Yusuf. I got a video coming out on that soon, and um, they have all these because under the the Pyramid of Zosa, they found forty thousand, fifty thousand jars and bowls made out of extremely hard stone. We're talking uh, brescia, porphyr, corundum, stuff that like you really would need either that material itself or diamond, you know, to cut it. And yet uh, these things have like fluted necks and um, holes through the, uh, through the little handles that are like a sewing needle that's gone through something we'd have to cut through diamond, but it's like a, a, a hole the size of like a sewing, like you pushed a sewing needle through wow. that. And the inside, even though the neck is like the size of a, a nickel to a quarter, the inside is completely hollowed out. And these are, this is really hard stone. And they found like 40,000 of these things under Zoser Step Pyramid. And it's just clear to me. They say you don't hear about is, that. <laughs> you don't hear much about it, but they say that these are from the Archaic Age, you know, so the pre-dynastic times. Well, who the hell in pre-dynastic times is cutting through corundum like butter, like forty thousand times? And it's just clear to me that these things were collected and stashed under there. They were inherited, like like a lot of other stuff was inherited and kept and and treasured. As coming from, you know, undoubtedly what they thought of as, you know, Zeptepi the first time, you know, when the gods walked, when we could build structures like this, when we could make things like this, when, when, you know, they knew how to do that. And you see that like time and again. And what really upset me uh, was being under that pyramid and last year, and they have fragments of those bowls still in there that have like the saucer mark, like in the bottom of the broken, uh, thing where like the tube drill has come through and made like a saucer mark on, yeah. on the bottom and there's pieces of that and the, the the curve on them and it's just and pieces of interlocking alabaster i mean i have video of these things that have like a um like a wide triangle with a with a very narrow top i can't describe this very well and then they've got another piece that slots into the gap around that like you know like a <laughs> like tongue and groove but it's yeah. an alabaster and it's like five six thousand years old like who is doing this and so when i saw yusuf this uh at the very end of last year and we were talking about stuff and he says oh he says like i got some bad news and i'm like what he's like you remember all that stuff that we were looking through and i was like oh yeah yeah he's like they took all of that stuff out of the pyramid before because they're getting ready to open the step pyramid they've been doing a lot of work down there he said they took all of that stuff out with all of the new stuff that they've been you know repairing down there and they threw it all they pushed it all in a hole together wow and just filled it in that's that stuff is priceless it's that stuff to me is so precious and i i left it there like if i knew they were just going to bury that in a pit with a bunch of modern building supplies i would have like started giving that stuff out as gifts to people look what i brought you from egypt you know yeah that stuff to me is just, and I understand they got 40,000 of those things in good shape in, in a museum. How much more of this stuff do we need? But on the other hand, I'm like all of it. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's disgusting. It really is. Yeah. I mean, but again, that George, uh, go back to George Orwell, that, that quote, he says, those who control the future, control the past. And those who control the past, control the future. You know, it's, it's just like that. You can see it. Um, it's, it's actually uncanny how, uh, how accurate 
uh, Orwell was in a lot, <laughs> a lot of ways. I saw a meme today that said, when are we going to switch this over to the nonfiction section? <laughs> yeah, right? I, I have a shirt that says, make Orwell fiction again. Yeah, because, hey, I mean, we're seeing that every day. Um, so uh, speaking of the pyramids, uh, when you go inside the Great Pyramid of Giza, yeah. um, can you tell me what the energy in there is like? Because obviously, you know, uh, they thought that they were uh, these big uh, energy generators. Almost, you know, That's why Nikola Tesla was so... Yeah. obsessed with the pyramids because there are these ancient power plants and you know they're aligned in a certain way in the world to be able to pick up the energy and there's different points around the world and that's they say that it was they had a big uh you know network of pyramids what's it like when you go in there do you feel something different the energy the vibration the harmonics what's that like you know these structures are energetic and I don't know for sure what these things were. I believe they had an actual physical function in this realm, in this. Oh no, Luke! They were they were they were tombs. Okay, that's. <laughs> well, and if you that's know, what we believe, <laughs> right? And going in uh, the Great Pyramid, you know, I, I've been in there. I've had, you know, private entrances. Uh, we try to do private entrances on our tour to as many places as possible so you can have that experience. And so I've sat in, in the, the three chambers that they'll allow you in on a special permission. They don't allow you into the re relieving chambers, but you can go into the others. Um, and it's intense. It's really uh, – it's very intense, and um, it's thick. I, it's a very um, the air is really thick in there. I can't I can't really explain it, but um, I you know some of the people on my last tour uh, I'd actually met in Peru uh, and I'd sat in you know ayahuasca circle with some of these people and they were like we need to do ayahuasca in here. <laughs> like I, I think that's a really bad idea. There's no bathrooms. <laughs> You know, I don't know where I'm going to vomit, but I, I understood what they were saying. And what they were saying is, you know, like the energy here is so intense that, um, you know, opening or thinning the veil anymore would be just so interesting. But I don't even think the Great Pyramid uh, is the most energetic site there um, by a long way. But it, it's definitely... Which do you, which do you believe it's is worth visiting and going in? Um, it's a toss-up for me. Uh, in Egypt, I would have to say Abu Jurab, um, and yeah, probably. Can Ab we talk about that? I know that's one of your favorites. That's where yeah, the bulls are, right? Yeah, that's where the bulls are. That and and Abu Ruwash, and that's another interesting site because it's like a twin with uh, Zoyat El Aryan, which is the one that's buried on the military base that no one will ever get to see. And uh, had some interesting stories told to me about those as well. But uh, but yeah, Abu Jirab is um, it's uh, supposedly a sun temple, um, sixth dynasty, and uh, it's um, it was a small pyramid with a flat top with a massive obelisk on top of the top of that pyramid, and then in front of it there was a a huge four-sided 
uh, Hotep uh, that's aligned to the cardinal directions. It's also a squaring of the circle. And then you've got um, what I call the, the Hakeem Bolter bowls, the ones that everybody's seen in the um, uh, Pyramid Code documentary. And But there are actually uh, other bowls there. There's what I call the Type B bowls, which are different design. Um, there's a bunch of those still there. And there's two of those actually still set in the floor in a little temple structure um, to the south of the of the sun temple it's and really interesting people don't believe those are for sacrifices right because the way they're designed it's not good for flow but it just makes you really think what what were these people if you could go back in time and just just take a peek you know there's another reason i don't believe they're for sacrifices and that is that um the egyptians the ancient egyptians when they were sacrificing animals because they didn't by the way in case people think you know they're like the aztecs and were sacrificing humans they didn't guys are savages <laughs> um they um, they had these triangular stone blocks that they would tie the animals to uh, before they were uh, sacrificed, and you, you always find those at places where animals are sacrificed. There's none of those. At they tie them to what? Uh, to a block? Like a like a triangular shaped block. It's a it's a kind of strange stone block. It's got a kind of a particular shape that they they would tie the sacrificial animals to. And mm -hmm. you would usually find those at sites where animals have been sacrificed. There aren't any of those at, at Abu Jirab. But there's lots of theory. I mean, pe people have come up with everything from, you know, the, uh, this is where they wash their clothes uh, <laughs> to this is where they separate, like, the chaff. from. It was the just meats. a laundromat. <laughs> right. It's a laundromat. Or this is where they separate out, you know, the, the, the chaff from the wheat or, you know, the grain. Um, uh, this is where they brewed beer. Um, my personal feeling is that they're subfloor, uh, that they're beneath the floor, and that there was water running beneath the floor, and that those holes were for the water flow. Because you don't have to. It's a, you know, 20 minute walk to Abu Sir, and that site has got uh, water channels cut into the ground running underneath the whole site uh, that that collects in these red quartzite bowls. And the Egyptologists tell you it's oh, this is a sewage system. Well, you don't collect sewage in a red quartzite bowl. Like, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. This is either uh, water purification or uh, or some kind of uh, energetic, uh, you know, empowerment of the site. Uh, like you were talking about Tesla, he knew when he was building his Wardenclyffe Tower that you, if you have mm -hmm. uh, aquifers, if you have running water underneath, uh, it greatly enhances, you know, the. Uh, strength of your he was on to something and he, he got abrupt abruptly and people don't the you know 80 oh, what 85 percent of our technology we owe it to him or something or 95 percent something crazy Jesus, but no. people you know forget about him and they go on and think about other people and it's like you know that guy that guy was on to something and how he said you know when science starts to look at non-physical phenomenon they'll make you know more progress uh since they have in decades you know paraphrasing that that quote but he really was onto something, and and again, this ancient stuff—it just makes you want to pull your hair out because you just want to know so bad what that was for. And you know, that's the fun part about it—that you just—it makes you really think. Um, well, you know, somebody posted, and this is just a weird thing. Somebody posted uh, on their Facebook page a while back. One of my friends posted uh, like a wacky patents post, <laughs> like a bunch of you know things that people actually have patents for. And um, I was sitting in an airport, so I was 
you know, I thought, okay, so I'm like thumbing through this. And all of a sudden I get to this point where th there's a patent for a personal teleporter. And uh, so I'm reading this and Nikola the, Tesla? <laughs> the requirements are, you know, large granite obelisks with, really? um, you know, with the, uh, you know, gold or electrum or something like at the tip and you, you got to put them like this. And I'm like, geez, I wonder where there's a lot of large granite obelisks kind of oh, lying yeah. around that nobody knows what, <laughs> uh, you know, because this is the funny thing in Egypt. We, we, we look at this stuff and even, I mean, the canny Egyptologists know, um, you know, almost everything is dated by what's written on it and what's written on it almost always comes hundreds, if not thousands of years later. And, uh, so I think, you know, I think as we look at it, there's a very good possibility that um, that our civilization goes back. We chose to uh, to go with Herodotus's story, and there are scholars out there who've written books who believe that Herodotus never even visited uh, Egypt. Yeah, I've so seen that about, argument as well. Yeah, so we're talking about a guy who lived, you know, 2,000 years after the pyramids were supposedly built, but maybe more, and who you know, potentially never went there. And this is a guy collecting, you know, essentially kind of collecting stories in, in ports and bars and wherever uh, from travelers about, and we take him, we take his word for it. And Mineto, who was the high priest at Heliopolis, who actually lived 200 years after Herodotus, who read Herodotus's work and went, this is bullshit. <laughs> and I have all of the I have access to all of the texts that prove that and what our history is, and I'm going to put it all in a book, and I'm going to write it. And we think he actually wrote eight books, but there's only fragments of a couple of his books that survive, and they come through uh, other historians. Uh, Josephus, is that the one that uh, – Sabio, uh, the Caliph or something like that? What's that? Is that the one that writes about the, the Caliph? Or, I'm, not sure or no? if, I'm not sure what he says about about. Uh, the caliph, but he does say that the king list uh, goes back thousands of years further than mm -hmm. uh, than you know. We've discredited everything that comes before a certain point because we don't like it. Uh, it mm -hmm. doesn't sound right to us, and that's because a lot of the rulers have extremely long lifespans. It's the same thing that you find in Sumeria. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got <laughs> gods and demigods who are ruling, and sometimes they rule for seven thousand years. And Egyptologists didn't like that. So they turned around and said, uh, Manet, Manetto wasn't talking about um, uh, solar years here. He was talking about lunar years. Now, he never said he was talking about lunar years, mm. uh, which is a month, right? <laughs> uh, he did, and everything else that he ever talks about, they use solar years. But for this, they decided to go back and break down all those lifetimes as if mm. each solar year was just a month. And you still end up with guys who ruled for eight or nine hundred years. So they just got rid of all of it. They went, we so can't. So still have doesn't it. make sense. See, that, that's a. Then you go. That's when you. It's a wormhole, dude. Yeah. And that's when you fall into the. You know these. That's why they talk about the ancient aliens and the Anunnaki and all these different things. And it's like, what is happening? You know, it's a. It's a brain melt. Um, but it's incredible. It's, earlier you mentioned ayahuasca. Yeah. Uh, can we talk a little bit about what your findings are with? Uh, psychedelics and these ancient civilizations because we know the egypt the uh the egyptians they viewed higher consciousness and as a sacred uh thing and you know what do you have to what have you found on that 
well, I believe that the Egyptians were using sacraments. Um, they had uh, access to Hermala Paganum, which would be a very ayahuasca-ish experience. It's basically an analog. Um, and uh, they, of course, had uh, Blue Lotus, uh, which uh, there are very old scenes all over uh, two malls uh, of you know the use and ingestion of, of blue lotus and um i believe they it's debated i believe they had marijuana um and you know there are histories of them growing mushrooms on uh certain kinds of uh grain there's a certain kind of uh, psychedelic grain mushroom, but mm -hmm. I, I've, I've been trying to actually really track that down, and I, I'm, I'm having some troubles. But anyway, I think um, you know a lot of what they're talking about and expressing in a lot of their texts is quite visionary. I think they were trying to make my my personal belief is that they were trying to make sense of something they didn't completely understand, and that's not like us now trying to make sense of existence, which we don't completely understand. I think – I mean I think they were trying to do that, but I think they were trying to make sense of, of what they inherited. I don't think they entirely understood what they inherited, and they were – and I think they created uh, a, sort of an entire uh, history and uh, religion and way of, way of life around that. You know, in, in an attempt to do that, I'm sure that's an extremely unpopular uh, opinion or or thought. Um, as far as learning stuff about cultures with ancient cultures with um, visionary plant substances, that's actually one of the reasons I decided to do ayahuasca. <laughs> I'm not even sure if I should really. But <laughs> yeah, we can make a decision about. It. I'm going to tell you at least some of this story, and then you can we can decide later whether to cut it out. Oh, st let me take the timestamp. Hold on. All right. Uh, 53:05. Go ahead. All right. So the first time I ever smoked NN DMT, actually the only time I ever smoked NN DMT was in Egypt on that Hancock tour. Uh, one of the people who'd come had actually brought it for Graham because they knew, uh, you know, that he was into that stuff. And so they they brought him this uh, the DMT and they offered it to him I think on the second to last night and I happened to be with the guy when he offered it to Graham and Graham he'd had kind of a rough trip his hip was bothering him he wasn't he was really looking forward to a rest he, he it was right after the debate and he was not he was not down for it and I think people do this to him a lot when he goes to talk places people bring him you know sacraments <laughs> drugs <laughs> let's do this Graham and I you know. I, can I wouldn't accept any drugs from a random stranger. It'd be a I mean. bit. It'd be a bit weird. Uh, I, however, did. Uh, <laughs> from a, <laughs> so he asked me after he, after Graham said no. He said, "Well, you know," and I. It just seemed like the right time. You know, we've been talking a lot about ayahuasca on that trip, uh, and I thought, you know, why not? And I I had a very strange experience because I was expecting to have. An entirely Egyptian experience. I'd been there for a month because I was there for a couple of weeks before the Hancock tour with Yusuf crawling into, you know, anywhere I could crawl into. And I was really expecting to have a, a very strong Egyptian experience. And uh, I, you know, I inhaled the, 
the three lung filling tokes and it was like these fractal curtains just came down from either side and then i was just in this other dimension and there was um uh, uh, an Indian guy, I, I figure is Brahma now, looking back on it, I figure is Brahma sitting on a lotus leaf that he was just zooming around on and laughing like this was just the greatest thing. And here I was, he made it. And look at this, isn't this hilarious? And he's just really enjoying himself on his lotus. And I am blown away because the, the amount of detail everything is just stunning and you can zoom in you can just zoom in as close as you want or pull all the way out you can and there's no loss of you know like with lsd or mushrooms or something you 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 look at something kind of changes as you're looking at it but it's still the same thing but it's sort of changing but like the base thing is always kind of there and this is not like that at all everything was extremely sharp i've never seen anything like that anywhere else and um and after a moment or two of watching all of this, all of a sudden I was in the jungle and it was, it was absolutely the Amazon. There's no two ways about it. Um, there were all these pyramids. I was watching them. I could see faces carved into the pyramids. Um, energy seemed to be coming down the corners, not down like the centers, but down the corners. And uh, it occurred to me in that moment with absolute belief that the Mesoamerican cultures who were building those pyramids were building those pyramids because they were in contact with an extra dimensional place that they visited by ingesting these sacraments. And they were either copying what they saw there or they'd been instructed to come back and build this stuff here. And after that, I sort of came back into my body a bit. And I took a breath and I thought, oh, I'm going to go out on the balcony. And it was very interesting because I could still see the jungle, but I could also see my room. And they were not aligned the same way on the same plane. So it was like walking was like being on a ship in a storm. Anyway, I got out to the balcony and uh, there was this um, yellow and blue road that came down out of the sky and just sort of landed on the ground outside of my balcony. And there were these little creatures jumping off of the bridge into the trees and just having a great time and while i'm watching this i, I saw like something really bright in the sky caught my attention i thought obviously it was going to be the sun but i could see the two great pyramids from my balcony and um, as i turned to look at it there was a, a giant blue being standing over the pyramids uh which would have been about waist high to him maybe Whoa. a little lower even and he was he was crouching as if he was on a surfboard or a skateboard uh, the one leg forward the other leg back and he had his left palm over the top of the great pyramid and his right palm over the top of the second pyramid and between his hands and the top of the pyramids there were these incredible spinning golden disks of light and all around these spinning disks of light you could see the fabric of existence like raveling and unraveling knitting and unknitting all around these golden disks and it was absolutely fascinating it was so compelling i wanted to look at his face and it took every 
every ounce of my willpower to look away from his hands and look at his face. And when I looked at his face, he was looking at me and he was smiling and he would look at me and then look at his hands and then look back at me and look at his hands with this expression on his face like, is that fucking wild? And I was sitting there like, <laughs> yes, that absolutely is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And I just stood there on my balcony and watched this being harness energy over the top of the pyramids and then fade out. And then I just stood there and I was like, is he there all the time and I can't see him? Is that wow. what these things are? Do all these structures exist in multiple dimensions at once? Do they have a use and a function in every dimension? Are they broken in some dimension and the most incredible device in another dimension? Like, I don't know the answer to any of these questions. People say that DMT is the, the imagination drug, and you imagine everything. But if I was going to imagine something, it would have been Egyptian. I mean, I just know how I work. I would have had this incredible Egyptian imagination experience, and I didn't. And here's something else that I'll tell you. The face – and I was entirely unfamiliar with Mesoamerican strides. So been to a couple pyramids in Belize just on holiday, but I'd never been to Mexico. I'd never seen any of the pyramids. The face that I saw on that pyramid was Tlaloc, the god of rain. I'd never seen Tlaloc's face before. Really? Yeah. So to answer... From Mesoamerica. From Mesoamerica. Any... So to answer your question, <laughs> there is information that can be attained in these other places, whether it's correct. The Kashik Records, man. Yeah. Let's talk about now, that. I talked to a shaman. I talked to a Wachimero in Peru about this because this guy was – he used to lead uh, what he called uh, Chavin renaissances, and he would take people up to Chavin Temple in northern Peru and dose them with Wachuma in the old style and you know, walk them through their experience in the temple and around you know, the land zone and, and that land up there. And you ask me about energetic places apart from Abu Jarab. I mean that is the most energetic place. The, what they uh, call a temple of doom it's it's i don't know if it's it's doom but it's it's a temple <laughs> of something and yeah. uh, and it's very interesting because they they use all the jungle iconography even though it's in the high mountains yeah and, it's incredible and they had you know they had pilgrimages going to that site from all over peru thousands and thousands of years ago you know to, to drink wachuma and whatever else they may have been been drinking up there and that's a hallucinogenic uh, cactus correct yes it, we call it san pedro yes yes. it's yes. actually legal i think you can go to a, a garden nursery and buy san pedro cactus if you so so desire well, they brew it they brew it and you drink it yeah i think everybody i mean i think because uh, a long time ago i actually made some from san pedro cactus but uh the stuff that i had in peru was absolutely ridiculous <laughs> lasted for about 18 hours it was relentless wow uh, you know, we did like four days of that and, uh, and you know, went out in the jungle and, and visited tribes. And, uh, and it was really it was really intense. And you just but, smoked while doing all this? <laughs> uh, no, you just uh, you drink it and it's oh, it's so because there's bits of the cactus. It's really slimy. And uh, it's so I did eight days of that after eight days of ayahuasca. And it was um, it was quite brutal, actually, uh, in a lot of ways, because the ayahuasca. Ayahuasca manages somehow to taste more vile every subsequent time. I think I've drunk ayahuasca 11, 12 times, and wow. every time it's harder than it was the time before to get it down. 
And that first DMT experience, that was your first time doing uh, smoking it. But then yeah, that, did... that's actually. I mean, I have since done five meo DMT, but that's the only time I've ever done NN DMT. What? An, um, oh, you got the diff, the other strand of it. Yeah, NN DMT uh, is the stuff that Terence McKenna is always talking about. You know, the machine elves. It's very uh, it's a very active environment. Um, there's entities there. They're usually aware of you and they'll interact with you. Is that, um, that that's what you saw? Because it looks yes. Like... Yeah. Oh, it's an incredible experience. Like yeah. you were blowing my mind. What? This stuff, and, and I, I have to be careful because this stuff, you know, it feeds into to what I'm doing. And then, you know, I want, you know, and I want opinion. It's, you know, I want to believe that, you know, that's what really is that there's that guy in another dimension. He's there all the time doing that stuff. And it's the same way. It's like, I, I have some outlandish ideas about stuff. It's just that I'm not really going to, you know, I, I'd like to have a little bit, a little bit of, you know, proof, something I could really yeah. show people, you know, to, to say. It's it's up for interpretation, you know, and that's like, that comes with anything in life, you know, whether it be theology or life itself, you know, the way you interpret it is the way you, <clears throat> there's no right thing because at the end of the day we don't know you know we don't in space we don't know you know what's out there they, they throw out all these uh numbers you know how do you even comprehend one light year being seven trillion miles you know i can't uh, from here where i'm at to new york it's a thousand seven trillion how do you even to comprehend that oh uh back 150 million years or whatever it is like how do you even no, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, um, it's incredible. So I, I believe, and now we're seeing this shift. I did an episode with a friend of mine who's a psychedelic consultant. Mm. Uh, he's going to be a therapist and stuff like that. And, and we talked about the awakening of humanity and how psychedelics and all these uh, sacred plants are going to start getting accepted because, you know, it's not only the, uh, the healing uh, properties of it, but the you know the 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 i don't even know how to explain it just these these yeah. aspects of it's opening up your the, consciousness yes. and, and just expanding your mind you know and, an and it comes evolutionary process I it think. comes from the from the from the world you know it's a gift from mother nature and again it's sacred and that's why i, I believe i don't believe in recreational use i believe in yeah. using it to you know it's for enlightenment and creative creative processes you know what i mean but people who do it every day i feel that they lose respect for it and it loses its uh you know its sacredness in a way you know uh incredible stuff though um and i, I will say that ayahuasca like if you're wanting to i don't recommend anybody does anything you do what you think you need to do but if you're looking if somebody's listening to this going i want information on something and dmt i think is the way to do it uh i would say you don't believe in god you'll believe in god <laughs> I, well i would say that the dmt this the sub nn dmt is probably the way to go because i thought that's how it was going to be with ayahuasca i was going to go i was going to i had other stuff i wanted to work on but also you know i was going to i was going to pin some of those spirits down all right yeah. you know tell me about these pyramids so let's talk pyramids and um and that's not that's not how ayahuasca works. It's very different from NNDMT, and ayahuasca is uh, she just wants to write oh, your you ship. Oh, you start smoking it and and uh, I, ingesting it with the same thing. 
Well, it's not that I thought it was the same thing, but I thought that I would be able to go into the jungle and drink ayahuasca. And in that state, I would be able to go right now, show me stuff about the period. Like I, oh, I, cause I didn't even really do that with, I, I did. It's on demand. <laughs> intent is, intent is important when you go into something. And before I spent a lot of time, like before that DMT experience thinking about what I wanted to learn. And that's always a good thing to do. I think before you do one of these things to ask for, you know, what it is that you, at least you think you want to learn or gain from the experience and then go into it with that sort of mindfulness. And so that's what I thought I was going to do in ayahuasca with ayahuasca. Part of it was, you know, I was having trouble, uh, you know, with grief, like even though it had been, uh, four years at that point, since my dad had died, like the grief was just getting worse all the time. It was terrible. And, um, and that, it helped me so much. I think it was like the third session, something like that, where so much stuff was shown to me about my dad and his life and where he was now and, and how this is okay and he's in the source and he's with me and it's okay and this is and since then and that did so much for me and since then the five meo uh experience because you know existence and death it's stressful all that stuff and and we don't think about it in the west it's uh it's you know it's all brushed under the, the rug we don't we don't talk to our children about it we try to shield them from it we go through our lives pretending that we're not gonna it's not gonna happen to us and uh, so all that stuff is – when you get around to working it out, it's important. And um, 5-MeO DMT is like – it's kind of like a rocket ship into God. It's really super disconcerting until you actually have the breakthrough experience. Um, and then um, it's you know unbeing. It's the glory, the pure glory and – pleasure and the gift of of non-being and it feels i can't tell you how good it feels not to be and when you come back from that experience i mean i generally laugh until i cry until i laugh because it's funny and like you start to under you start to understand you know why the buddha is always laughing because actually this is all really funny and 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 so I have to keep I'm still at the point where I need to keep checking in because I I come out of it for a while and I'm back in the world and eventually the world starts grinding me down I haven't broken out enough of, of, of you know the the patterns yeah. our social patterns enough to to hold the but I'm but I'm getting there it's getting so much it's getting so much better and so if other things aren't working for you um, it's something to consider yeah, yeah. Make I believe, I'm a firm believer in the law of attraction. The the mind is a powerful thing, and I do believe there's there's access to these different realms, whether it be through prayer, meditation, uh, psychedelic. And you can you can get there. That you know, and this is why when you go to India and you look on the temple walls and you see these ecstatic things, and Thailand, Cambodia, it's the same thing. You see these ecstatic body movements and poses, the apsaras, the thing, mm -hmm. and then you go into a, a a deep psychedelic state, and you see the same things. Mm -hmm. So now, of course, the Indians had soma; they had other things. But a lot of it is also from meditation and silence mm -hmm. and non-interaction and, and all of that stuff that they do to themselves, which is really, really – it sounds so easy. Don't talk to anybody for 10 days. Don't 
look at anybody. Don't you know, don't don't read a book. Don't look at your phone. Don't listen to music. It's ten days, and you think, oh yes, yeah, no problem. And like day three, you're mental, absolute. You're a nutcase, and uh, and so you can you know you can get there. That's the more disciplined path. A lot of us, we don't have the time. We don't have the luxury of any of this stuff. We're we're, we're in this experience where we are we're clearly some sort of entity that is inside a vessel and and we have no real explanation for it and we live in this society this societal structure where we give ourselves no time whatsoever to examine that think about it figure out whether there's a goal or it's all about you know being successful and what is mm -hmm. successful it's about having a you know nice house and money in the bank and a you know, a trophy, whatever it is, it's crazy. The latest We've lost that, that oneness, you know, with Mother Nature. And that's, uh, I think, uh, Graham Hancock says that, you know, we've lost that oneness. Yeah. And it's like you said, back then, people were so much more connected and connected to, to, to nature. It was all about community. It was all exactly. about community. Exactly. And we, nowadays, we don't have that. We have so much hostility and so much unrest around the world. And uh, we're believing everything the media feeds us, uh, you know, right now. Scientists have... actually put a number on it. They put a number on how many people, how many people is too many to have a, like a community that functions in that way. And I think it, really? it turned out to be like 110 or 115. Like the human brain can deal with like mm. knowing, loving, caring, dealing with like a hundred people. <laughs> and like, once you get beyond that, you don't give a shit. You're like, I don't, wow. I don't care what happens to them. Fuck them. Yeah. And it, it's like they've done studies on it, and that's like with primates, and which is you know what we are. That's incredible. And, uh, and yeah, and that, that's that's so that's part of our deal. We're gonna have to figure out, you know, because really it all comes down to if if we look at everybody as ourself. If the conclusion that I'm tentatively running with after all of the visionary plant uh, medicine is that we are actually the universe is actually one entity. And we are all uh, like a self-organizing string theory. Quantum yeah. physics is trying to correlate consciousness yeah. and, and this it's... other realm with science. Yeah, and and this is the thing that like now they're looking at all this quantum entanglement. And they're like, even though these things are in totally different places, they're entangled. And, so, and I'm like, yeah. yes, because we're in the same petri dish. We're all connect. We're the same thing. Like and the observer because... effect, you know. That's... Yes, exactly. And it's, and it just makes, of course. And that, that's why, uh, on a certain level, our science is always going to fail because we're inside the petri dish, and it's impossible. Like it's the Nikola observation Tesla. problem. Non-physical yeah. phenomenon. <laughs> Again, yeah. it goes back. I, you it know, I'm back. really, I'm intre I, I interested in Tesla for a number of reasons. But one of the things that he he maintained uh, that I find very interesting. Uh, is that gravity doesn't exist and it's not a thing. And I think that's I think that's very interesting because we struggle with gravity. We don't understand it. We can't recreate it. Uh, and it entirely dominates us. And, uh, you know, for for him, for Tesla, it wasn't gravity. It was the ether. Somehow the ether generated, uh, you know, this sort of weight and mass. And it's really interesting stuff. He was such it a is. fascinating guy. I mean, can you imagine if you could talk about time travel, put him in a room with like Da Vinci? Wow. You know, some of these guys <laughs> just go, okay, guys, you've got like three days. Figure our shit out. Yeah.
I believe I, yeah, I believe there's things in science that we'll never understand. I believe there's things in the human body that we'll never understand, things that we can do, frequencies, the effect that has on us. You know, there's so many things that there, we have to figure out. And then we're worried about having a space force. Why do we need a space force? Who are we going to go see? And why do we need to go on Mars when we're destroying our own Earth and starving it of, 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 of things? And it's, you know, it blows my mind, man. It really does. Why would your parent give you a new dog while you're killing the old one? Exactly. You know, it's like you see what they're doing. You see what they're doing. And it's it's different agenda. But, you know, <sighs> I've relaxed. I've relaxed on it. I think, you know, it's part it's been part of the experiences that I'm I'm. I'm going to do what I can to make things as good as I can for everybody, but uh, I'm just not going to stress so much because I, I don't – I am I I think it would be great if we took care of everything and treated this like a, a new car that we wanted to keep perfectly forever. And, and, and you After know, those 110 is, people, Luke, that goes yeah, way out the window. <laughs> exactly. The reality is, you know, we're, so I'm, I'm just looking at this as – I was talking to my friend Bianca the other day, and she's like, "I just want answers," and I'm like, "This isn't the place for answers. This isn't where we come for answers." This because is where you we can't come. understand. What's that one saying? You can't understand things from the same consciousness that it was created. I think Albert Einstein said something like that. Oh, that's interesting. Like, you must. You have to go above. You know that that consciousness. I'll have to look for the quote. I'll send it to you. But cool. it. Uh, you know, it's like you said. It's this is not the place. <laughs> Yeah, and unfortunately, it's it's not, and and it, that has all of that stuff has sort of affected like the way I've gone into the ancient culture stuff. I'm no longer looking, really, for the answer. I'm just looking for more, because it's mm-hmm. it's fascinating. Um, but I'm you know I've been working uh, slowly on this documentary because I'm, you know, I just sort of decided I want to do this. I'm not a filmmaker. I didn't go to school for filmmaking. Uh, I, I've never I, – before this, I had never used any kind of editing software, and it's quite complex. And so it's uh, – you know, it's been a really long, uh, grueling uh, experience uh, in that way. And I, I – there's many aspects of, you know, the editing, which is so anti-creative that I, I hate it. And I, I feels really stifling. I have to beat myself up to do it. But um, – you know, I, I'm feeling pretty good about, you know, maybe finishing this uh, by the end of the year, but maybe more like a couple months into next year, uh, realistically. But uh, I'm feeling feeling pretty good about that. And I, I, uh, but I made a decision recently that I'm once I've done this, I don't think I'm going to come back to this topic in a big way. I may continue to occasionally do some some videos, but I'm going to move on. There's there's other things that I'm, I, I really want to do a documentary on uh, uh, an aspect of uh, plant medicine, and uh, I, I'm really aching to do one on homelessness because stuff is just so out of control. In California especially, right? Yeah, but I mean in the United States, well, you know, in a lot of places, and, uh, you know, that's that's really bothering me. And, it, of course, the homelessness ties into everything. It ties into, like, mental health and, you know, veterans and – the elderly and, and drugs, a lot of drugs yeah, too. Yeah, it's all this kind of stuff, and and it's just uh, so disappointing to me how how we look away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we turn really, a blind. I, I agree. We turn a blind eye to it, and um, it's again, it comes down to it being also a problem of a problem of of, of people, you know. Um, 
like you said, now you're making me think after 110 people, I don't give a damn. Right. <laughs> and so it just comes down to that. But the world's a crazy place and I don't see it getting any better, whether it be biblical or not. And it, it sucks because, you know, I have a son and, you know, to mm-hmm. what we're leaving behind for them isn't doesn't look like it's going to be the best thing. No. Nope. And uh, that's just how society is nowadays. But oh, who knows? You know, we might get wiped out before that or we'll destroy ourselves. You know, it's true. But there's always you know, there's always an opportunity uh, to improve, to improve things and to turn things around. And even now, you know, in this you know current political environment, uh, I was very disappointed for the UK because they had a guy there who was, you know, offering them what they need. And they they declined. Yeah, I think we got a guy here now too who's kind of doing the same thing, and and I, I think a lot of people are gonna. I don't, I don't want healthcare. <laughs> I, find, I find it really, I find it really hard to understand. I just, um, you know, I've had to actually go outside uh, the country for medical care because I needed uh, wow. uh, hernia operations, and I could pay uh, thirty thousand dollars here or. And then my insurance, uh, which I no longer have, but when I had it, would would take some of that, and I'd still end up paying eight or ten grand. Or I can go to an Asian country and have it done, you know, for two and a half. <laughs> and it's just crazy to me that I, I'm fortunate enough I could afford a plane ticket to go and like. It's do a that. business. It's a business. Uh, people, you know, yeah. big pharma. It's disgusting. It is. It's totally disgusting. And I, I just, you know, my father. No reason. My father has MS. A 30-day supply of MS medication because there's no there's a, there's no cure for it. There's only a treatment. Uh, thirty thousand dollars, and that's the, on the cheaper end. You know, for a 30-day supply, it's one shot every day. Thirty thousand dollars. Staggering. It's staggering. That's, and you know how much it costs to make six hundred dollars because we looked into it. Yeah. And it's it's like really what well, you know, so you know we can we can wrap up on this note <laughs> talking about how messed up society is and and it's all a business and we it go it, it goes back to that sacred plant uh, medicine i believe you know well, what's going on right now that coronavirus that you know they were talking about how they already have a, a vaccine for it uh, yeah yeah <laughs> you know they already have a vaccine for it. who knows if it's something to right. uh you know they, they're gonna sell it for an x amount of oh, i know right you just don't ever know but again at the same time you don't know they're, they're giving you these figures i don't even believe anything i see on the mainstream media or on the media <sighs> period because though again it's and, and it just so ironically that there's a how to survive a pandemic uh documentary on I know. netflix <laughs> i know but you know what, what's really funny is that that popped up the other night and i started it and then i went nope <laughs> yeah just how like, ironic you know i was looking at my fiance yeah I, uh, I, I actually don't really want to survive one of these things i actually live uh right next to a naval base like i wake up to the national anthem like i'm that close to the naval base and i think we're like west coast command here like if north korea nukes us i'm going first <laughs> and I, i'm okay, i'm so okay with that like i don't want to be around trying to you know pick yeah. up the, where am i going to eat how many oh there's a dog are you hungry i'm hungry let's go get you know and you don't no. want to kill yourself no. either it's like no damn. <laughs> you know so i don't know i just uh 
it is it's it can be a very cruel world it's also an incredibly beautiful place and uh you know we that's what it comes down to is you know we can choose to treat each other with kindness and respect and if if we all did that if if we all decided to just do that for a week right for the next week and then all the and on it's, <laughs> see see just see how that goes it'd just be a crazy experiment to do that for a week no, oh shit, I gotta be kind. I mean, maybe everyone could get, get ulcers. I, I don't know. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we experience that rage. We want to let it out. But uh, I don't know. We need to, we need to be, I, I, we seem to be climbing over each other to get somewhere. And I think it would just be much cooler if we were lifting each other up. I agree. I agree. Um, well, Luke, to summarize, we talked about ancient civilizations. Uh, psychedelics and then obviously what the world has come to now and uh you know we should love each other and tell the truth as a friend of mine says you know everybody's one and we all bleed the same it doesn't matter you know six feet under nothing matters anymore so yeah i agree as long as things spread positivity and uh don't hurt anyone i I steal my parking space yeah You know, it's human it's nature. We're, we're, we're primates, you know, but uh, everything is really important and nothing matters. Exactly. Uh, Luke, thank you so much, man. We got to do this again. On. Yeah. Uh, if you ever want to talk about uh, more archaeological stuff or more, what yeah, just, definitely. You know, let me know. We'll, we'll, we'll chat after this. Um, let people know where they can find your work well, again uh, to watch out for your documentary. Where will that be out? Because I'll be interested in that as well. You know, I, I, I it's entirely self-funded. I've done it all myself. And when I'm done with it, I'm going to try to sell it to Netflix or Amazon or <laughs> Hulu or Disney. Right on, dude. And, you right know, on. and if I can't do that, then I will I'll probably just paywall it on, on YouTube. Um, the other thing I wanted to say really quickly, if I can, for a bit of shameless self-promotion, I, I do take tours uh, yeah, at the sure. moment just to Egypt with uh, Yusuf Oyen, although I have done Peru and Bolivia, and we might do Mexico in the future. Details of the October tour, the special permissions tour, where we have six special permissions to actually go inside a lot of sites that are usually closed and explore, like the Assyrian and uh, the Osiris Shaft and Tomb, the Great Pyramid, all kinds of stuff where you don't usually get to go in and do your thing, Abu Ruwash. So uh, you can find details for that on my website too and on my Instagram. Uh, my website, www.enigmasoftheancient.world. And I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, yeah. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. If you ever want to go to Egypt, which I will be doing, uh, you know who to hit up. Really enjoyed this episode. Mixes two of my favorite things together. And fascinating, fascinating stuff. Really hope you guys enjoyed it. Remember to follow us on social media at the Juan on Juan podcast. Also, you can shoot me an email. Check out our blog. Uh, our, our website is the Juan on Juan podcast dot com. My email is the Juan on Juan podcast at gmail dot com. Shoot me an email if you want to be on the show. Have anything uh, interesting to talk about? Uh, things of that nature. Really appreciate the support and until next time.